This is Derek Moyer, and welcome to the Freedom Fighter Podcast. So welcome friends to this week's Freedom Fighter Podcast. I'm Derek Moyer and I'm uh, with my special guest this week, Mark Cambridge. Good morning Mark, how's things mate? Good morning Derek, how are you doing my friend? Thanks very much for having us on here this morning to share a story I hope. Looking forward to it Mark, looking forward to it. Looking forward to hearing this story of transformation. Um, you know, this subject, mate, I know it must be raising some questions <laughs> with, with some that will listen with the validity of what we're saying. Sounds like a big fairy tale, doesn't it? That transformation or metamorphosis, like you're changing from caterpillars into butterflies, you know, like you think, think of the, you know, that um, in that context. But it, it's not a fairy tale, it, it's real life. These guys that I'm interviewing yourself, Mark, included. You just shouldn't have made it out alive, man. <laughs> you just, you know, if you hear the you hear the story, they shouldn't have made it out. It's walking miracles. So we are shouting these stories for the rooftops that it can happen for us, it can happen for you. It's not too late to be transformed. You don't have to stay stuck. You do not have to reproduce what's happened to you. You can be changed. You can be transformed. And really, what we are offering is hope. As a great scene for the Shawshank Redemption, remember Andy Dufresne, main characters, he's thrown in the, the, the digger, uh, the hole they call it, and he's in there for two weeks, and he comes out and the scene picks up him meeting all the, these troops, all his pals at the, the, the dinner table, and uh, you know they're, they're, they're saying, wow, that was some time you done there in that dark hole, you know, the solitary confinement. And he says... Um, you know, he had Mozart, something along that line, he was listening to things in his heart. And he goes, what are you talking about? And he goes, hope. He says, something inside of you that they can't get to. So Morgan Freeman, who was playing the character Red, interrupts him with this aim of straightening him out and saying, here, let me tell you something, son. Hope's a dangerous thing. Hope can drive a man insane. It's got no use in it inside. You better just get used to it. Basically, rubbish standees advice prophesies doom over him saying, look, you better just get used to this. You're living like this the rest of your life. You're going to be in this prison the rest of your life. Don't have any f- positive feelings of anticipation for the future. Of good things going to happen to you. Believing in good is dangerous. And Andy says, well, just like Brooks did. And we know that Brooks was the old con who gets so used to being a prisoner, ends his life because he couldn't cope with freedom. So, you know, hope's not a dangerous thing. Hope's essential. It's essential for us to, to uh, believe that th- things can happen for us, things can change for us. That's what keeps us going. So I've got a story of hope this morning, <laughs> I tell you. Uh, Mark Cambridge. Uh, Mark is now doing working in a, a, a rehab. He's working, you know, supporting uh, people who have been addicted and, uh, you know, taking them through the process of change and transformation. So we're really just going to delve into Mark's story today to hear a wee bit about where he was, to hear about about what was going on for him, uh, and then the details of how this transformation has played out. Because we know that this transformation is uh, it's no, you know, something that just happens automatically. There is a cost. So, Mark, just give us a wee bit of background, just to give the listeners 
um, a wee idea of where you were in your life. I was brought up in a house, my mum and dad, and a, an older brother, Andrew, in a place called Dunknall, just at the beginning of Winton Road. Can I go through primary school and that as a bit of a kind of rebellious child? Mm-hmm. And I was kind of just home for position in school, was kind of fighting for top man and stuff like that. Was a, I'm not going to mention names, there was four or five is up for like that. Going out at night and stuff like that as a young boy, your usual chap door runaway, scratching motors and mm-hmm. stuff like that, kind of sense, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think I kind of bullied that growing up, even though I was a wee kind of skinny guy, I never kind of took kind of any crap and that off people. Never let that hold you back. <laughs> uh, so, my, my, my brother was four years older than me, mm-hmm. and we used, we used to share a room, and I can remember he used to go into the towel cupboard in the, the, the hall upstairs all the time, and one night I'd, I'd seized him, what are you doing in there? And he was stashing hash right. for one of the, the dealers. So that's when I first really got introduced to cannabis, probably mm-hmm. nine or ten. I used to get to some of my pals and that. And I was just, I was getting, as I said, fighting and that. And I was in Woodland School fighting and I ended up getting suspended and stuff like that. And got to panels and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. I got to 11 just before I went to the academy and that. But they hit a guy and broke his nose and ended up going to the panel. Mm-hmm. And uh, my dad's like, ah, look, there's nothing I can do with him. Usually I need to do something and take, take him away. So I ended up in a place in Johnston called Newfield, right. which is a home. Mm-hmm. I was in there, they said, three weeks assessment. I was in there for about six months. <laughs> and I felt a kind of lot of rejection in that for my family. Mm-hmm. It was really kind of hurtful and painful. I was in a in a place that I didn't know, people in dorms and seeing people getting battered and stuff like that. And it was really hard at the time because I thought it was a wee kind of hard not maybe mm-hmm. in the streets I went road, but I wasn't. I was just a lost, broken young boy, you know. Mm-hmm. So I ended up going to the panel about six or seven months later. And, uh, I get the assessment done, I get put into a place called Kettle on Stevenson. Mm-hmm. So I ended up being a day boy in there and doing my school in that there. And that was really hard to know because there was a bit of rebellion in there and I ended up fighting with staff and getting carted and some stuff like that. And I was in at the time, I know there's a lot of teachers and that now doing 10, 15 years stretches for stuff. i seen stuff going on in there, nothing happened to me. So mm-hmm. uh, seeing all that getting getting out into when I was 16, mm-hmm. that uh, started getting into the kind of drugs and that, the rave scene, the kind of eckies and Acid and stuff like that. I was back in the day. I was thinking about it. I was saying to somebody the other week, they used to get your personal stereo with four batteries mm-hmm. and just get your acid and just go over bog side or whatever and just go. Mm-hmm. used to date with the, the glue sniffing and that. And all. I can remember uh, my dad used to day spot the ball and, he, and he, he won second prize. It was a Vauxhall Nova. He couldn't drive my dad. Right. So he ended up getting the money with seven grand date hunter. And I used to come in and wake my brother up and give his money. He'd go to the pub, we'd go and glue and start to glue sniff and stuff like that. It was just kind of crazy. Mm-hmm. So that continued for a good few years. And then into Robbie's and that was four years that kind of ran about together. Ended up getting done for a car theft and assault and robbery when I was 17, 1992. Mm. And I got six months for it. So I got the six months and I got out. My dad was working at the Scottish Maritime Museum in the harbour. 
and he got his apprenticeship down there. Mm-hmm. But it just wasn't for me. No. He didn't do apprenticeship, but I just get caught back into the kind of the street life. You know what I mean? That's how, that's what I knew. Mm-hmm. Didn't like you kind know, nine o'clock working, five o'clock <laughs> back up the road and stuff like that. The money was all right, but mm. it was just mere money for drugs and stuff like that. So that kind of happened over a space of a few years because I kept getting back into drugs. Stoke got to my job; they would pay me off. Mm. Ended up. Robbing and stuff like that again, mm-hmm. shoplifting and stuff like that, and just stupid things. That you seventeen, eighteen. I nineteen ninety two was my first jail sentence. That was assault, and robbery, mm-hmm. and uh, car theft. Mm-hmm. And was it just so, downhill for there? Eh, uh, kinda. I kind of think we'd about in a gang, and we'll just take them. Let's say liberties. That sort was. There was forties. Mm-hmm. Was forties taking liberties and people and robbing them and just. At a time, my cousin used to steal motors for dragging his past away now. He used to come down with motors and all that. And he'd be like, ah, yes, you're a beauty. <laughs> what I mean? 16, 17, 18 year old, just kind of booting stolen motors and stuff like that. Yeah. So anyway, I got back into my apprenticeship and kind of stayed on the hangway for a while, started getting into diffs and, and Valium and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And before you know it, <coughs> I was on a methadone programme, right. 17, 18 year old. Uh, it was a cod at that time, a maintaining script, so you can go on it for life. But I didn't see my life being on it for the rest of my life. Mm. And I thought my brother passed away there. My brother's been on methadone for like 30 years. Mm. You know what I mean? We started a prescription at the same time, so I ended up coming after getting a reduction course and coming after that. I was into 18 or 19, get back into my apprenticeship again, and I kept stumbling. Step kept kind of falling and before you know it was on another methadone program mm-hmm. but that was a six month production course and I come after that and get into my uh, back into the apprenticeship started getting into that getting into boat building that doing the maritime museum and I loved it it was great I started getting a real kind of passion for it and, mm-hmm. but as I say I think a lot of rejection and that for my childhood mm-hmm. kind of triggered me today stuff like this you know mm-hmm. I want it to fit in and all mm-hmm. with the kind of older gang my brother and that the kind of older old school in Winton Road mm-hmm. so just kind of continued over that sense I get kicked out my mom and dad's house ended up kind of sofa surfing into my 19, 20, 21 and still in about the kind of different drugs mm-hmm. trying different drugs mm-hmm. and different relationships broken down and stuff like that and in a, in a different hostels, but later in the beginning of my, maybe 21, 22, I think it was, I was staying with my brother, he stayed in a Livingston Terrace mm-hmm. with his girlfriend, mm-hmm. and at that time his girlfriend was a prostitute, she used to go to Glasgow, mm-hmm. and one night she came back from Glasgow, she came back with a wee bag of brown powder, but no, it was probably about a teenth, and 60 chalky tamazi palms, and uh I seen the name they were injecting it. I never started smoking it and injected it straight away, man. And just it took all the the cares of the world. It just made me feel better, feel any kind of emotions and feelings, shall we say? Mm-hmm. And that kind of just kind of was a game changer for me, I think. And before you know it, you try it for a few days in that, didn't you? And before you know it, one day I just woke up, woke up, and I was there. Uh, 
upstairs stomach and shakes and all that. And I was like, ah, what's fucking happening there? Mm-hmm. Then I didn't know what it was, but knew I was going through withdrawals. Mm-hmm. And that just kind of catapulted me into shoplifting, robberies, breaking into shops, breaking into houses, whatever you need today to fund your habit. Wow. And that went on for years and years, man. Mm-hmm. Getting the jail in between it and taking drugs into jail. I've been done with twice for doing drugs in Bohus. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and guess what? It's caught up me because I'm in the process to try and get to Australia to see my pal mm-hmm. and I need to go and get an interview in the embassy in London. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm praying God opens that door, you know, because I'd love to go there. Mm-hmm. So as I say, all the kind of kind of years and addiction with other, other people, mm. what you think is your mates, is acquaintances, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And lost a lot of kind of people through that. Mm. So I ended up phoning my brother and stuff like that. And as I said, in and out kind of hostels, in and out the jail. Yeah. And uh, I remember I had a wee bed set down in Burn Street in uh, Irvine. Mm. And I stayed with my brother down there. And I used to go out and get a turn and bring stuff back and he'd be the same but he liked to drink and all my brother and he was skanking me so I ended up falling out with him didn't I mm. what do you mean by skanking you he was going out and getting heroin or whatever he was getting and coming back saying he wasn't and he was mad with it right. <laughs> I'm lying in the house fucking rattling like a cat in a hot tin roof mm-hmm. so I never kicked him out I just kind of argued with him stuff like that and I went out and get my stuff so he came in one night mad with it back a ten or something like that with a big bag of sandwiches and donuts and cakes and all that and asked him for some mm-hmm. and he's like ah, no go and get your aid and all that says what you're talking about and he the team challenge bus mm-hmm. I was like team challenge bus I ended up rolling about him anyway and getting some stuff so that Tuesday the following Tuesday I went down uh, just outside Victoria House mm-hmm. and it was a blue team challenge bus there and I walked on it and a woman called Lorna Hankerston was the first person uh, approached me in the bus and she says, what's your name? And I says, Mark came and she's like, oh, you're Andy's wee brother, we've been praying for you for six months. And I'm thinking, what's she talking about praying? She's asked me to take my, my hat off, I'd hear it at the time, like, oh, he'd like a bus couch, you know what I mean? <laughs> Smelt like an ashtray, she didn't care. I used to go to the and empty the ashtray in my pocket. I didn't care, mate. I was just, didn't care about People thought, hey, man, I was like, I any chance I can get a toast and stuff like that. And away she went and come back down. She started it. Sharing the gospel with me. Mm. How Jesus has died for me and and stuff like that. Can I share about it? And I'm thinking, look, I never said this to her, obviously. I have it in the past. I said, can I just come on for a food? Mm. I want a food parcel to get home. Because <laughs> my gyro and that, the only day I got off the shoplifting was my gyro day. I'd go and buy a bat of weight and some Valium and stuff like that to... So I didn't need to go and shoplift her. Mm-hmm. Chase a charge kind of thing, you know. That's the only day. Once a fortnight I got a wash and lived like a king. <laughs> so that, I, there's something, there was a kind of drag team about these people. They never judged me. Mm-hmm. And I thought, these people have got something I want. Where I was happy, they've got a real joy about them. So I think it was a few weeks into that, they started a thing called the Grubbing Gospel. Mm-hmm. And that was a, like a three-course meal. Somebody shares a testimony, get about a praise and worship. No, that was doing it full up church. Mm-hmm. So I used to go there and get a free course meal and say, right, Jerry, and that, away for a fag and go out and sneak up him away. And that was me. Mm-hmm. Only, it was only there for the food, mate. Mm-hmm. That's the only thing I went there. 
There was a guy in line to get away to a re- the rehab called the Haven, but he kind of stared at slipping away. So my routine was the Tuesday and the Boston and the Grub and Gosh when they stared at and asked me to go to church on a Sunday. A church on a Sunday? Look at the statement, man. Heavy paraffin lamp here. Not me, they just... <laughs> You know, how many hardcore addicts you just didn't wash or shave or stuff mm. like that, you know what I mean? But he started to slowly fall off the wagon. He wouldn't come on a Tuesday, sometimes he wouldn't come on a Friday. Mm-hmm. And Jerry and that gave me a book called Run, Baby, Run with Nicky Cruz. Mm-hmm. And even when I was rattling, I'd get up and read it in my wee bed set. And I just thought, man, this guy's mental. Nicky Cruz is one of the top man of the Mau Mau gang in New York. Mm-hmm. And reading that kind of really kind of spurred me on. One time I, I went to church on a Sunday. My dad thought I was absolutely off my knot. You state, you, I've been drammed and got a church like that. Because <laughs> I used to think these people in church had it together. They had a great life, but... It's different, isn't it? And I used to wait at the top. I see meeting people you get a gyro and stuff like that. At the top of there was phone books, which is the cross in Irvine. Yeah. And I used to see me join the evangelist and Charles coming down, man. Charles used to have a Bible half up in suitcase. I'd go, oh, well, you'll Charles coming. <laughs> Every time he can haunt me my number, lot. I mean, I think I got his number mixed up with dealers' numbers I had in my pocket. He just kept getting his number and I'm thinking, he's a, Charles was a crackpot, but he's, he's worse now. <laughs> but then you would hear kind of, and there's stories of people like Martin Dotty got away and became a Christian, Jim Faddis, Dan Howie. Dan Howie's one of the guys that I used to fight with at school. You know, Woodlands, to hear these kind of different stories. And Jerry and that, would, for the team challenge on Friday, would take me to different churches and hear different testimonies. Mm. And I would think, this is amazing, God must be real. So through that, I ended up, as I said, the Tuesday, boss, Friday, go and gosh, when the church and that, then they says to me one day, Mark, would you like to go to the Haven? So they helped me fill out the application form. I think it was in about October or something, and that was in 2009. And I got an interview. Uh, must have been the beginning of November, and I got a place on the 24th of November, 2009. And that, this is God's timing, I believe, man. I do believe this. Even though at the time I wasn't a Christian and I never got saved, I went in there on the 24th of November 2009. I went to the doctors for my detox on the 25th of November. He says, Mr. Cambridge, you'll get pleurisy. Another couple of weeks out there, you'd have been dead. Wow. I was like, ah, wow. Mm-hmm. Couldn't believe it, man. Mm-hmm. So I ended up getting my detox and, and getting through the kind of program, which you struggle against, you know what I mean? You've got to get up. Shaved, showered, clean your room, come downstairs, get your breakfast, do the dishes, then have your quiet time. Mm. No, it's structure. Mm. That's what that's what you need in your life, don't you? Because mm. as addicts, where life is chaos, so we mm. need that kind of structure. I used to go into the chapel, and I was with another twelve guys. It was for the same background, maybe alcohol or drugs, and they're all sitting singing in chapel. I'm thinking these people are absolutely mental. They <laughs> singing about. I just got a deep revelation one day and I ended up, it was uh, the 9th of November, 9th of December 2009, I asked Christ in it in my life. Mm. And that was a, an amazing journey when I was in the Haven, about a polytunnel and about a kind of place where you can do joinery work and stuff like that. And I really fit it in there. I, I loved it. It was, it was absolutely amazing and helping them build 
shalom and stuff like that. But once I started getting onto the program, getting onto my phase three, and that's when I get my first weekend away, get your phone and all that. Not I mean seven and a half months clean. Yeah, let's get my phone, mm-hmm. go down. And my dad made tatties and mints that night when I went down back down to Irvine. And uh, my mum had half varieties at the time. Mm-hmm. And he'd never boiled the tatties at Because my dad was an alcoholic. Mum said, you shall have the tatties in, I can't cut them right. And they just kind of and Jeff and you date the cell next time. It really impacted my life, that. Mm. And I ended up getting back to the haven on Sunday night. I just had a bad stinking attitude. Mm-hmm. And uh, I ended up, they sent me for counselling because I'm getting deep issues and all that, blah, blah, blah. But I ended up, a few weeks into counselling, a woman sent me to a place in Ireland called Ballyards for some counselling. Mm-hmm. I was over there for five weeks and I absolutely loved it. Real good, deep counselling in your life. You suffer from a lot of rejection, guilt, shame, mm-hmm. and very insecure. Mm-hmm. So coming back for there on the 4th of November 2010, my key worker at the time, Bob, had a ticket for me for Stoking 20C Casting Crowns, and that was the first ever band I heard in the Haven, mm-hmm. and I thought I'd like to go and see them. So that was an absolute blessing, so... As I said, I was in phase three at the time, and I got to know a guy called Roy Lees. Mm-hmm. His wife was the manager in the Haven, and I got to know him, and I could have told him about some of my skills and that. He's like, oh, I need to get you to Art Industrial. That's where he worked. Mm-hmm. He hooked me up with that, because they were trying to get me to volunteer in the Haven. I was like, I'm not volunteering in the Haven. I want to go do my phase four with Roy. Tell, tell us a wee bit, just a wee quick, quick background. I know that the Haven's this Christian uh, rehab centre up in Kilmacombe. Phase three, what does that entail after phase, what, what's the phase kind of progression through to phase three and four? Well, you do your kind of induction and your detox for the first month, don't you? Mm-hmm. Then you do your, your phase one, just to kind of see how you are. Because mm-hmm. coming, off, coming off drugs for all day years, your, your feelings and emotions mm-hmm. take over, man. Mm-hmm. I've been in that place, I've seen a guy the other day there, people have shared a room with me, bringing back drugs and leaving and getting fun deep. Mm-hmm. Guys that couldn't hack it because you can't smoke up, they're going out and picking doubts and that, and getting kicked out and fun, fun deep. And that. I, I wanted to leave because they showed me that much love. Mm-hmm. I wasn't used to this. I'm thinking, you know, these Christians want my gyro. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the kind of things you feel because when you become a Christian, you're building a new life, aren't you? Mm-hmm. Because if it's all these lives, uh, addiction, it's a new life. Mm-hmm. It says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, has anyone been a Christ? As a new creation, mm-hmm. the old life is gone, there's a new life here, and it's mm-hmm. grasping that new life and how you mm-hmm. conduct yourself into that new life, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So, mm-hmm. phase two, you get your days out with a staff member every four weeks. Phase three is your weekends out. Phase four mm-hmm. is you're ready to move into the community. Mm-hmm. Pick your own church. Right. In that sense, to get involved in that, so mm-hmm. I ended up moving down to a place called the Boffy, which was Big Davy Black's farm, mm-hmm. and I picked a church down there called uh, Elam mm-hmm. in Greenock and get in, involved in that. But I used to go to Art Industrial quite a lot in Johnston, Roy, I ended up in uh, Donald Ross's office, burning off the DVDs and that. It goes into the buses and stuff like that. And Roy used to come in and give me bacon and egg sandwiches. I thought this is the bees and ease. So then there was a big, I'm a big pal, big wall, used to come down and we used to go and pick up the buses for Brian Souter. Bring the buses back down, rip all the, the chairs and that out, clean them, put a kitchen and that and 
then put the seats the other way. And I used to get pelters off my pals in the haven for this. Oh, look at about doing this and that. But no why. I had a passion in the heart to do the buses. Because I walked onto that bus in Irvine mm. and somebody had done that wow. for that bus to come to Irvine mm. and that bus impacted my life. Because I believe Team Challenge Bus is a, the bridge between the church and the addict. Because mm. we, we don't like to walk into a church estate, you know what I mean? Mm. Yeah. So that was with my kind of phase four. Mm-hmm. I'd done that so many buses and it was absolutely amazing. Uh, then you get a bit more freedom, as I say, you pick your church, get into uh, green it a lot and stuff like that, and uh, uh, get into a relationship. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I was tell naughty. Right. So big Davy Black and my key worker and that fun out about it, and these have been Christians 30, 40, 50 years, some of them, Mark, tell you, they're not ready for a relationship. And I'm like, ah, Christian for 18 months, I'll prove he's wrong. <laughs> oh, dearie me. So I ended up, Moving out the Haven and moving in with this lassie in Greenock. And uh, after a couple of weeks, uh, life went pear-shaped. Mm-hmm. Before you know it, I'm back doing an Irvine with a habit again, back in addiction. Because mm-hmm. I'd never dealt with the root of the problem. Mm-hmm. It was the insecure and the guilt and the shame I had carried. Mm-hmm. So I ended up back in Irvine, got in contact with Jerry and that again. Ended up doing the Team Challenge London. I was doing there for three months. Never really dealt with anything down there. Just kind of right under the radar in the programme. Because I was in contact with the last year again winter. So I knew I was leaving back up there to get back in, in that relationship. So I ended up leaving the 6th of January 2012, I think it was. And the thing is, it was a 10 and a half hour journey in the bus. And the phone her on the way up, she's like, I just got a taxi for Glasgow to Greenock and I'll pay for it. So quite a long story short. I got up to Buchanan Street and got off, and I didn't know she was waiting there, and I walked past her, and she's like, just went mental. Lasted a couple of days in Greener, and I ended up leaving her, and ended up back in Irvine again, <laughs> a habit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, so, ended up speaking to Roy, gave me a phone number, and I ended up in Duns about two weeks later, so I said, I was kind of, Saying to God, man, I'm sick of this, man. I just want freedom in my life. I want breakthrough in my life. Mm-hmm. So I says, I'm going down there for a month. So I went down there for four weeks. And the, the day I was leaving, I had to wait to get a lift to the Edinburgh uh, train station. Mm-hmm. And the guy, big John Stonehouse, the staff member, come back to me and says, Mark, there's been two people on the phone for you. One was big Bob Hawthorne, who was my key worker and still in my life. You know, and the one was the wee Margaret Jones. It used to be the cook in the haven. So I contacted them when I got to Edinburgh and Margaret had just bought a house down in Runcorn and she wanted me to go down and give her man Peter a hand to, to decorate it and do up stuff like that. She would pick me up. And I thought, I've got to do that. I need to get away from Irvine. I need to get away because I just ended up in that thing. We just ended up down in Runcorn Doing the house and that, I ended up getting involved in a, a church in Chester, and that's when I eventually get baptised. And that was a whole different ball game for me after that. Because mm-hmm. I was in Team Challenge, they just they try and force it on you. Mm-hmm. Oh, there's 15 guys getting baptised, Mark, do you want to just get baptised? And I wasn't getting pressured into doing it, because it's a big commitment, I think. Mm-hmm. And you've got to kind of think about what you're doing in it, because 
you're dying to your old life and getting raised into new life. And I just felt I wasn't going with the crowd. Mm-hmm. So I ended up getting involved with that church in Chester. And the three leaders in the church, two of them were joiners and ended up, they ended up employing me. Mm-hmm. So I ended up working for them, get baptised there. But little did I know, there was a guy from my hometown called Stephen Laurie, stayed with Margaret and that and Aaron 20 years ago. So she invited him over, he stayed in Preston. So came over and watched, I think it was Expandables 2 or something like that. One of the films got a pizza. Mm-hmm. And he's like, ah, my church has gone to a place in Carlisle uh, for a church, church, or church weekend. Do you want to come? So he's invited. I went up going over there. Mm-hmm. And the pastor was Scottish for air. And he asked me, can I share my story? And I, can I, sh- I shared my story over there. And I was just going to... Thinking when I kind of left there that, that week, I was praying about God, where's the next door can you open in my life? And that following Friday, I wasn't working, and I got a, my phone rang, and I'm thinking, who's that? And I thought, anyway, I'll answer. And it was a guy called Pete Carrington, and he was one of the second pastors in the church in Preston in the Freedom Centre. He's like, Mark, we've just been praying about you, and we feel to ask you over to Preston if you'll help with the youth work and the outreach work in the streets of Preston. And I thought, Definitely. So I ended up over there for four years, and that was probably a great journey for me, for my character. Because mm-hmm. when I went there, they, they, he's still in my life, and now Pete Canty mentored me for four years. And that was challenging, because he wanted me to text him or phone him whenever I was going out and doing stuff. Mm-hmm. I didn't like it. I didn't like it. I didn't want to be accountable. I wanted to kind of do my own thing. So anyway, I got involved in that church. I mean, a double-decker bus. And we used to go into Blackpool Road, which separated Savick and Larchfield. And that's where the, the young team used to fight. So we used to go in there with the bus and don't stay. You could do crafts with a kitchen. We could cook bacon and stuff like that. It was hard at first. You no, know, they'd be nets with the horns doing the trousers spitting at you. <laughs> was challenging. Mm. But I loved it and I stuck through it mm. and done it for years. And then with the soup kitchen, we used to feed about 200 of the homeless in Preston, get really involved in that and getting to know these people, getting to know their families and sending guys to rehab. And Lord was doing a, a great work there. And, uh, there was a woman in our church, her granddaughter, or it was her niece or something like that, was pal with a lassie called Nicola Adams. Mm-hmm. She's a boxer. Right. So her sponsor was Cookery. So she dropped off 350 hoodies to the church house in Preston. And me and a few guys for the church used to dispense them to different outreaches, a Salvation Army and different kind of places in Preston. And when I was in Preston, eh, my dad passed away with cancer. And that was a really hard time for me. I went to Scotland. I uh, had a few quid in my pocket and I went up there and I ended up back in heroin again. I ended up staying in a house just up from my and dad's and don't know. Back injecting, get my pal dropping off boxes of Valium for a fortnight and my money ran out. And I thought, Lord, am I going to do now? This is one Friday. Says, I mean, I'm going to rob somebody. What am I going to do? Pastor Pete came into my, my thought banging a phone to him and I says, look, this is what's happening. You see, he'd try to get in contact with my pastor when I was in Scotland, but you're not interested, are you? Mm-hmm. 
So he's like up Mark him in a meeting now because he was high up the board and Youth for Christ and all these other organisations in Preston. He's like that, but I'll get the worship leader Tom to book your ticket. Just go to Irvine train station and get it. So I went to Irvine train station. My ticket was there. Come back to Preston. Mm-hmm. We are, we have it. And so my pal ended up getting us across to a wee guy called John Edwards. Mm-hmm. So I was over on John Edwards for five days, kind of detox and stuff like that, but it was a really raw time for me. It was a really hard time for me. I, I, I wasn't healing. I, there was a thing, a, a, a wee seminar I've kind of done years, years ago about scars and scabs. I'm in a place now I can talk about my dad because it's, it's a scab. I've been healed. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a scar, sorry. I've been healed, but there's, at that time it was a scab. You start touching a scab and picking it, it bleeds down it. Mm. So it was kind of raw to me. And... Uh, I ended up, ended up leaving John's and I come back to Preston and I was just kind of, was working with a, a Muslim guy over there who I love, Prakash, and he took me on and I was just really in a bad place and I was just thinking, Lord, can you open a door for me? I'm just sick of this, absolutely sick of getting in and out rehab. It just becomes normal as you as you grow up in and out prison. My prison saved my life a few times. And a, a boy, Stevie Laurie, he's like, oh, Mark, I've just been talking to my boss about it. He's wanting to meet you. So I went over to a place called Witness for Preston. It's like a nurse journey. And went to the church. And then I come back and his manager, Stevie, worked as a support worker in a place called The Lighthouse. So I can I tell him my kind of circumstances and that. He's like, oh, Mark, I'll offer you a place, but I'll tell you what, I've not got any rooms. They're all full. But I'll see what I can do for you. And he followed his phone me the next week. And says, Mark, we're just going to give you the staff room. The staff's going to sleep on the couch. And I was like, ah, I was really kind of blown away with this. Mm-hmm. So I come over to the lighthouse and kind of done the program. There's no kind of set program. It's just between you and God in it. That's it. First and foremost, it's not about doing a program. Mm-hmm. That's not what it's about. I used to go back to other people say, I want rehab. Man. Look how it's changed you and all. Only thing I got out of rehab is structure and discipline. Mm-hmm. It was God that's changed my life, mm-hmm. and only God can do that. So I came here mm-hmm. and kind of go out and bold and Dan stuff at your ass today. And before that, I got asked if I would take charge of the grounds, which is five and a half acres, and I took kind of charge of that and the people in my church. And I could see it, the good attitude, and I was kind of willing to serve. And I want to share a wee a story. I went to a, a conference called uh, Awakening Europe in Prague. And this is my first big conference. And what a life changer it was for me, man. I absolutely loved it. So I went there. It was four days conference. A guy called Ben Fitzgerald for Bethel Church. And a guy called Daniel Kalender. who was talking to their night there. He runs Gold Church in Australia. And I've got videos in that. And I've got a wee journal I read. It was absolutely amazing. they gone in the trams for the church and my with his iPad and his speaker and stuff like that. We used to get other kind of people involved. Nearly get flung off it and all that. So we've done that for a few days. Then the, the last night was a Saturday night and they kind of left. We got to actually see the amount of people we've connected with on Facebook, man, the Norwegians and Germans and Scandinavians. It was absolutely amazing. But the, So then, end of that, we were sitting in a bus shelter and I've got it in video. There's hundreds of people peeping their horns. We're all singing and worshiping that. Ben Fitzgerald comes over with that, Daniel Hagen. And I've got them for six minutes. So we're all singing the praise. But 
the bit I'm getting to is we go on my tram. The second last stop is McDonald's, Slavia Prague's football ground, and our hotel is just down the road. So we get in there. There was a, a, a Latvian guy who stays in Dublin, two guys from Fleetwood and Preston, my pal, Sean, I went with him from my church. And we get in there and we seen the, the two Norwegian lassies where mum and dad, she must have, she, she called me Andrew. Hi, Andrew. And I'm like, who's Andrew? But I noticed it was them. So when Avon kind of shared a bit of my story with them and she felt led to go over and speak to these kind of lassies with the piercings and the tattoos. But this time I get my food and I'm eating it. So I end up going to the toilet and come back. Before you know, all my pals that were there surrounded these people and praying for them. And the presence of God was absolutely amazing. I was like, hi, yeehaw, let's go. So next minute they're flicking the lights on and off and thinking, what's happening here? This is half 11, 20 to 12 at night. And I've just been over to see the guy cleaning who's trying to get us out. So can I try to speak to him and his daughter's an addiction. So I was telling him a bit of my story and we ended up praying for him and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So he ended up, we kind of say, look, blah, blah, blah. And just at that, he's like, you just have to go. I need to clean up and go home and that. So there's five or six years going out. Next minute, there's three cop motors coming around, flashing lights and all that. I'm thinking, oh, no, I'm going to get a jail and brag for sharing the gospel. <laughs> These big bruisers get out, putting the rubber gloves in that. Oh, no, heavy. Oh, wow. I was like, excuse me, we're just at a conference. We're in your hotel. I says, Mars Hotel, it was only down the road, so anyway, they let us go. And it was amazing because we ended up sharing in the streets. I think it was 6,500 people out in the streets, praying with people, seeing people getting healed. And salvation, that really kind of dirt me up and thinking, this is it, this is what being a Christian's really about, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Going out sharing your story with people and praying with people and seeing people getting changed and transformed by God, you know? Mm-hmm. got a lot of stuff I could talk to, but I'll let you kind of uh, ask well, that, questions. That's, that's, you know, it's great for me, insightful, fascinating, mate, to hear how the journey's been for you, <laughs> you know, the ups and downs of it. It's good for others to hear that it's not like you've had this one experience that changes everything. There's a process to this. Just wanted to, to ask you around that, when you mentioned about the the numbing yourself when you're on taking the heroin. And it's amazing how the way that we coped with these feelings in the past was, let's get out our heads, let's take drugs, let's run to some sort of comfort blankie, some sort of coping mechanism that numbs the pain. If you're having to deal with these things that are, that, you know, the losses, the hurts, the disappointments, our own shame and failure, our own uh, sin, the things we've done wrong. So, you know, a wee bit about that, that how how easy have you found it? Because that that process for us all, has, it's painful to face up to what's going on. How easy have you found it going through that process? Oh, it's been very hard, as you said at the beginning, metamorphosis for that. Catapult to come out, there's struggles mm-hmm. to get out of that, to be that thing. Mm-hmm. And it has been really hard sometimes because uh, change is painful, mm-hmm. sore. Mm-hmm. Anybody says it sees he's a liar, you know. Yeah. And I've had to get healing in my life and breakthroughs in my life that I thought I'd dealt with. Mm-hmm. And I didn't. And only God can deal with that. And it's been challenging because the thing for me Derek I realised looking back in my journey now when I went off the rails I come away from accountability I come away from that 
because when you're no want to be accountable, and I believe it comes along with hand in hand with accountability is correctability. Mm-hmm. You don't want to be corrected. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So I found myself in a place now always accountable in that sense, you know. And as I said, I can talk about my, my, my dad now and the struggles in that he had in his life and mm-hmm. what I'd done because there was a healing there. Mm-hmm. I, I had to get that breakthrough in my life and it never came easy. It was like eight or nine days crying and sobbing and tearing and I would come after heroin after he died and just the ninth day something broke in me. I didn't know what it was mm-hmm. and it wasn't until a, a few weeks later it was it was getting a healing. Mm-hmm. God healed me mm-hmm. for that and you've got to really seek it, haven't you? Mm-hmm. Get a bit of counselling Mm-hmm. and get people in that sense because I, I used to looking back now look through my lenses a guilt in my past mm-hmm. that's what carried me mm-hmm. now I don't I don't do that anymore I don't look through I've got a new life I've got new habits new patterns mm-hmm. I'm in a position now been working here for two years know what I mean I've got I've got the keys I, 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 the keys to my my church and the passwords and all that know what I mean I'm dispensing guys' drugs. I've got the money for the safe and all that. Mm-hmm. I, re- I lead communion team in my church of 12 people. Mm-hmm. I couldn't have done that, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I couldn't have done that. I run a support, sports connect group in my church. Mm-hmm. In that sense, because I've had to come under accountability. Because mm-hmm. people want to know who you are, yeah. but how you work. I know. How, how easy have you found it? Because, I mean, that, these are lifelong patterns, aren't it? You know, and you think, I know just you sharing yeah. this, the lifelong patterns have been hiding in the dark because accountability is all about I'm opening myself up to disclose the intimate, painful info, uh, info about myself. You know, embracing correction and, you know, yeah. change, receiving different perspectives. That's no easy, Mark, is it? No, of course it's no easy. No, because you're putting yourself in vulnerability, aren't you? Mm-hmm. You know, I've got, I've got some stick for some people in my church. Oh, you're far too honest, but there's freedom in that for mm, me. Definitely. I am not bound by it. Mm-hmm. I'm open and honest, and I mm-hmm. think that's the, the way to be. Because mm-hmm. if you want to change, you've got to be open and honest, don't you? Mm-hmm. Is that the price? Because my, my time with you the last year, when I've heard you tell us some of this, this stuff here, this story of here's what's happened to me, and, and I'm hearing in you this real strength that this change didn't happen automatically. That uh, This change, that's the price that you've paid. And other people, we, we just kind of assume, though I can be like that, but no, there's a price that you've paid to change, to enjoy that place. When you hear your history, from care to jails, to all the, the condition that you were comfortable in, you know, in a sense, to see how, how do you get out of that? And here's the process of it. Is, that's miraculous, mate. That is a story of transformation and hope. But you have paid a price. That, that's what I'm saying. You've paid a price to manage your life better. Yep, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You've got to come to that place that you, you want to change, don't you? Mm-hmm. I was just sick of it, man. I was just sick of it. And through this time, man, there's a lot of people died with drugs and that. And I don't know why it'd be that statistic, that person, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Honestly, didn't I? Mm-hmm. And I used to wonder why I kept going back. That's what it was, being insecure, the guilt and the shame. And 
And as you say, it's painful. It's, mm-hmm. You need some counselling in that sense, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You need to be around about people that's willing to encourage you and love you for who you are. Mm-hmm. And I've got people in my journey of the day got a good support network here, I've got a good support network in Preston when I come to Irvine, I've got a good support network yourself, Vince and Charles and that, you know, I've got yeah. Jerry and that doing it, the, the Team Challenge bus mm-hmm. and I choose to do that mm-hmm. and I say that to the guys in here accountability's not going to come and chap your door mm-hmm. you need to go out and seek that accountability find the people you trust run about you because mm-hmm. yeah. we make ourselves vulnerable Derek mm-hmm. yeah so what would you say, for for those listening, just to finish, Mark, um, you know, you're, you're to, to pass on, I know you've shared a lot, mate, and accountability, honesty, um, you know, what would you say, just to encourage people who are, who are maybe, been, who, who are maybe relating with everything you've said, who are, who are feeling like, even those who, who keep going back, like the dog returning to its own vomit, so a fool repeats his folly, you know, you know, but that story of going back, what would you say to those people right now? Well, it's a good question, that, Derek. Mm-hmm. You just need to keep persevering, you know what I mean? If you're a Christian or no, whatever situation you find yourself into, if you really want to change, you need to put God in the driving seat. And that looking practical is spending time in the Word of God, getting yourself into a church, being a Accountable in church and say, look, this is who I'm at. This is where I'm at. Mm-hmm. And want people to, to walk with you and journey with you. Mm-hmm. And that's that. I would say to guys in here, when you're out there as an addict, you're on about with addicts. Mm-hmm. As a Christian, you're on about with Christians. <laughs> yeah, that's it, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And that's what it's about: serving others, serving, serving in your church. In that sense, and it's hard. But if you keep running back, as you say, as the dog that runs back to vomit, there's stuff in the life. That you're no dealing with, and that's what I done. I never dealt with it. I brushed it under the carpet, but no what? It's like the Israelites. And they had a thirteen day journey and it took them forty years. <laughs> and even though when God opened that Red Sea and took them across there, mm-hmm. they were still moaning, mm-hmm. complaining, yeah. and they built an idol. Because mm-hmm. they were insecure. Mm-hmm. And that's what stopped them, wasn't it? Their mm-hmm. insecurities, their pride. Mm-hmm. And that's what can stop us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The fear of change. The resistance to change, the reluctance to change. So just close with prayer for us, Mark. Just pray, pray for. Just think of the boys that you know that you knew, you, you you know that might be still stuck in these prisons of shame, prisons of insecurity, going round and round the same old mountains, saying the same old stuff, groundhog day routines and patterns, you know. But pray, pray for their hearts, Mark, that they would find this hope that that we've found and day somewhere respond to it. Heavenly Father, we give you praise and thanks, Lord, for your in the business, Lord, that transforming and changing lives, Lord. Mm-hmm. Lord, we just pray for all these people out there that are caught in an addiction, caught in broken, hurt and pain, Lord, that you will soften their hearts, Lord, that they'll receive the gospel, the good news, Lord, mm-hmm. the hope that we bring, Lord, that they'll they'll hear it, Lord, and they'll receive it and they'll apply it to their life, Lord. Mm-hmm. And this time that we're stuck in the pandemic up and down the country, Lord, and the world, Lord, there's so many people stuck in dark places, Lord. Mm-hmm. Lord, we just pray that you'll speak into their situation, Lord. We pray into their circumstances where they find us, O oh Lord, and they'll cry out to you, Lord, that you'll come in and change their life the way you've changed my life mm-hmm. and Derek's life, Lord, and so many other people's lives out there, Lord, mm-hmm. that they'll come under your wing, Lord, that will be obedient to you, Lord, mm-hmm. for their life will be 
totally transform, Lord, because Jeremiah 29, 11, because you have a plan and purpose for each and each individual, Lord, that, mm. uh, uh, and to give them a hope, Lord, mm. and to give them this amazing future that we have. Mm. So we give you praise, Lord. We give you thanks, Lord. And we just pray, we come, Lord, that you will answer these prayers, Lord, in faith, Lord. Your will be done, not ours will be done. We ask this in the precious name of Jesus. For your glory, we ask it. Amen. This has been the Freedom Fighter Podcast. Thanks for listening, everybody. If you want to connect with our services or you want more info or details about upcoming events, connect with us online at www.freedomfighter.life or drop us an email at info at freedomfighter.life. Until next time, God bless you.